Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some, some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 412 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, December 8th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, welcome back. It's been a while. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And we had a, just back from the winter meetings, and we had a winter meetings full of breaking news. Uh, but um, here, right now, I've got breaking news. Breaking news into uh, The Sleeper and the Bust podcast. Burger King debuts a repulsive ketchup-filled donut bun. Uh, no, the uh, the much more serious. Um, uh, I, I'm going to be taking a step back. Uh, my next the change uh, column on rotographs will be my last. Dun, dun. And um, Paul Spore is your new rotographs editor. No, not that guy. Yeah, not that guy. Jesus, that who guy's put him in charge? That guy's the worst. Uh, I'm still going to write. Uh, five times a week on Fangraphs. I think I'm still going to chat. I'm still going to podcast here at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also going to be taking over a new venture out in the beer world. So uh, look look for that news when it comes down the pipe. Not not only did you get to make one of your passions your career, but now both of your two passions are your career. That's pretty impressive. So big congrats to you for that. How much well, can you say about what you're going to be doing? Oh, it's, um, it's going to be beer. It's going to be beer culture. It's going to have some elements of beer graphs, but it's going to be a little bit lighter. Um, think sort of infographics and introduction to craft beer and, um, just fun pieces. Um, I'll have a podcast over there about beer and, um, 
I don't know how much more I can say until it's it's really out there. But um, sometime in the next month, or or we might do a soft launch sometime in the next month, and then really get going in the in the early season. It is funny that you mentioned that because that was my night job was beer graphs, and I'm going to have to shut down the editorial on beer graphs. We're going to keep the leaderboards around. And um, the thing is, though, uh, what I'm nervous about is that this is going to be a lot of work. It's going to be hard work to try and do both of these things at the same time. And also, I don't. That means I won't have time for a third night job, which is good because the way things go, that would turn into my career, whatever that would be. Be like Tiddlywinks champion, you know? Pogs, dude. Bring Pogs back. <laughs> right. I'd subscribe. I'd come right for you. <laughs> Pogs. Here's my Pogs podcast. My baseball. Your podcast. Obviously, you have to call it a yeah. Pogcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I had some dope slammers back in the day. I, of course, I had Pogs. I was. I'm a giant nerd. Who? I mean, was <laughs> that surprising to anybody? <laughs> Of course, I freaking had pogs. Jeez. Well, you know, congratulations. That's awesome. I'm really glad that we're not going to be losing you here. That was, uh, you know, you and I were talking about the potential opportunity a little bit. And, you know, one of the bigger things was, I hope it doesn't take you away from the podcast. So even if it's once a week, we'll still get you once a week. And uh, I'm actually going to see if maybe Jason can do a second episode, um, maybe on an evening you know, like record on Tuesday evening, put it up on Wednesday afternoon. And that way we got him twice a week. Plus, like Paul was cycled in this week. Uh, we're going to be working on other guests. Just had and the Rob Silver I, episode. I, would love, I think it's probably a, a good time to have um, the readers chime in because you're going to have, you know, some guests from inside uh, fan graphs over the next week or over the next couple of weeks, few weeks. And, um, you know, if uh, if they like Al Melchior or mm-hmm. Paul Castava better, or you know, if there's if there's anything that they like, um, you know, any any guest that they like in particular, they should they should let Paul know. Sleeperpod you know, at like- gmail dot com. Definitely let us know. And there's still going to be the mailbag episodes. We debuted the first one of those on Saturday. Got some good feedback on that. So big podcast week, by the way. Where this can be the fourth one of this week. And that's huge. Uh, I hope you all have been enjoying it. It's been a killer uh, winter meetings. And I I, I hope that we've delivered on that as well with the content, especially because today you and I are going to be covering a lot of moves. I got a leading off question of the day for you, though. What will the Dodgers do if they don't resign Kenley Jansen? Now, it could be moot if they resign him. I get it. But right now they're in a battle apparently with the Florida Marlins to get him. Excuse me, Florida Marlins. Sick life. The Miami Marlins. And he's kind of the last big chip standing unless they go out and make a trade. What would the Dodgers do in that case? What do you think? I mean, I think the obvious answer is David Robertson. They go out and get you because everything must go for the White Sox, right? Yeah, and um, there's no real – I mean, they've been getting guys that are close to being – like they could actually probably slot Mercado in somewhere, you know, um, this next coming season, and Giolito and, and Ronaldo Lopez are going to be, you know, right there. So they did get a lot of guys that were um, that were right there. But at the same time, um, relief is kind of the thing you you, you put in there last. So. Let me ask you: um, Would would you rather have Nate Jones? I mean, I I think that Nate Jones cost will cost more. Because he's he under contract will. like twelve million for five years or something, he throws harder, and 
you know, he, uh, he, I think he has more upside given their ages and stuff, but, uh, you know, it's ever, uh, it's always, uh, I actually, it's always give and take. I mean, I think both of those guys will be on the table. I think they'll be calling the White Sox and saying, we're, we, you know, who else, who else is a bad team that has, you know, a couple guys in the, in the, in the bullpen like that. I mean, I guess you could call the Phillies about Hector Neris. Now that they, well, they've gotten, I think that they fancy themselves as fringe contenders again, though. And they got Benoit, I think, to be the closer and then Neris to be there. I, I don't want to say Andrew Miller because I know he's not at that level, but their guy who can put out the fires in the big, in the, the bigger spots there in the seventh and eighth inning. I, th- I think they want Neris to be able to do that because Nishek, or Nishek and Gomez, Jamar Gomez are just not those fireballers that can come in and get that K when you've got two on and one out. So I, there's, think, uh, I think they want him. Yeah, there's another name on there on the list of available is available relievers is Alex Colomay. That's that was the next one I was going to suggest. He's interesting because he really he, he had bad command, but I think you know in his situation, um, what happened was not throwing the changeup and the curve as much um, really helped his command. So it wasn't necessarily. I mean, he doesn't have great fastball command. But he has better fastball command than he had command of those secondary things. And you've got so, the Dodgers, Tampa Bay link there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually can be undervalued sometimes. I, I did hear, for example, that there were trades that Sandy Alderson couldn't do out of the Mets organization because of um, a lack of sort of connectivity to to certain to certain um, front offices. I mean, we see certain teams link up regularly. And uh, yeah. then when you kind of trace back some of the steps of the people involved, maybe not even just the GMs, but like assistant GMs or, or farm oh, directors, like, you, you, yeah. you see these connections. And you're like, oh, that's why they made a trade so easily. And they've made four in the last six years or something like that. I mean, you, you even saw it sort of unfold in real time with the A's and the Astros. If you just follow the career of Jacob Nottingham, you know, exactly. I mean, he got traded. He got traded by the future GM of the Brewers when he was with the Astros over to the A's, and then got him uh, right back to the Brewers. I think that was uh, like a Casimir deal, and I don't know what the A's gave the Brewers. Oh, that was the Chris Davis, the Chris Davis deal. deal. And one of the yeah. more famous examples, of course, would be Anthony Rizzo. You know, Jed Hoyer. Yeah. Got yeah. him from Boston when he was in San Diego. They he goes over to do, uh, the Cubs with Theo, and they say, "Well, let's get that guy back. Let's give him this dud arm, Andrew Trashner, and uh, and get that deal done." Boom! They oh got the uh, franchise that, first baseman. Oh, that is the worst deal. And I, I mean, and then I guess that's why Sandy Olsen comes up because he was out of the game for so long. So yeah, you he know? didn't get on this latest wave of young young uh, yeah. young GMs. He doesn't have Theo on auto dial, so. Well, Sandy, you're gonna have to make some connections, dude. You're gonna have to. But anyway, uh, Colome, I guess you know the Rays are the Rays are kind of this team that's always coming and going. They're always trading guys with fewer years to get guys with more years, mm-hmm. while they're trying to remain competitive. And I think with Boxberger, you know, you've got a closer there, and you know they always they're they're a spin rate team as much as the Dodgers, but there's a little bit less pressure on them to seem like they have a. Uh, a ready-made team, I think. Um, so they can say, well, Boxberger's our closer and we're going to find the rest of the bullpen while the Dodgers have to say, you know, we went and got a real closer um, so y'all can shut up now. Or they could trade Boxberger because bo- both, you know, Boxberger going to be 29, 
Colome is going to be 28. Colome actually has an extra year um, <clears throat> of control. So I think either could probably yeah. be had uh, for a similar deal. You're not going to get away scot-free. You're going to have to give something of merit. But uh, I could see either of those guys, Boxberger or Colome, being being the backup plan for a Dodgers. And, of course, the uh, the Nats, you know, for all the moves that they made that we're going to talk about, they still have a hole in their ninth inning. Right now it's Sean Kelly and you know, we talked about the White Sox having guys. I would have thought maybe for given those three pieces that they gave, they could have maybe gotten a, a, a reliever thrown in there, maybe like a Robertson since you have to pay him. I didn't realize yeah. Jones had such a great contract uh, because all I did was quickly look at um, baseball reference and I looked at the uh, earliest free agent. That's 2019, but that's because that's when his options start. And the options that uh, Nate Jones has are 4.7, 5.2, and 6 mil you know he's got to be pretty bad not to be worth those and the and the stuff that we've seen out of him even in his mid 30s he should be worth those options so you're talking about a guy who's locked in uh possibly until 2021 or through 2021 I should say yeah yeah i mean but you know the, <clears throat> the major caveat with him is that he's he hasn't been super healthy so and he's not he's not <clears throat> young he's kind of fresh on the landscape but I think yeah. some might be surprised to learn that he's going to be 31 next year, Nate Jones is. So keep, keep that in mind as well. David Robertson coming off a bit of a tough year, uh, particularly for him. He'd really gotten his, his walks under control after struggling with that early in his career. He had a four-year span where he was over three just once, and it was 3.2. This year spiked back up to 4.6. Had some colossal disasters that, that are kind of memorable Outing, bad outings that he had that cost him some games. Uh, I remember a six, six or seven earned run outing against KC. That was a nightmare. Um, he blew one. I'm trying to think of them. There, there were there were a couple like memorable ones. I know the Tigers ripped him once. I think he had probably three or four outings of three plus earned runs, and that'll tank your ERA. So 3.45 might not seem awful, but for a reliever, for a, what is supposed to be a stud closer, it wasn't too good. So maybe. That lowers the price a little bit on a David Robertson, who you're going to be paying 12 and 13 mil to the next two years. You get him at a, at a slighter discount. So we'll see how that Kenley Jansen news plays out. Obviously, these guys that we've talked about, if if the Dodgers do resign Jansen, then they become options for Miami or Washington, who I think are the last two teams that uh, fancy themselves as contenders that don't have a closer. Yeah, and I, you know, it's good to bring up the Nationals not only because. I, I'd like to uh, give a shout out real quick to um, uh, Blake Trainin. Yes, who um, you talked about him last year? I remember early in the season. I think this is again a little bit like the uh, Dyson Tolson situation. The, the the difference is a little bit that I like Kelly better than I like Tolson. But what really ultimately got Tolson was almost more than um, the work that he did was his health. And that's definitely been a case for Kelly. And as 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 soon as last year, the Nationals weren't trusting Kelly with full innings. Exactly. They were, he was almost a rugi for them. It, so it, 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 they they did not want him to be there. Even as uh, Papelbon melted down, they were doing everything they can to try to not use Kelly. He did end up getting seven saves, but then of course they brought Melanson in and and, and went right to him. Trying and the stats haven't necessarily been there yet. But the raw stuff still says that there could be something here, and we could see him blossom. He's twenty nine. Going to be twenty nine years old. 
there's stuff here to where he could blossom. He throws really hard, but also and uh, so he can get strikeouts, but also has a 66% ground ball rate. That could yeah, be I mean, filthy. He has the reason I brought up Dyson, other than the fact that there's, um, you know, I think maybe a secret future closer here. Maybe he doesn't open the season, but he ends the season as it. Is that training has Dyson's pitch. Uh, the the sinker that Zach Britton throws is only thrown by two other pitchers in, in terms of movement and velocity and outcomes. And those two pitchers are Blake Trinan and Sam Dyson. So I know that um, it's a little bit hard to just take this one pitch and say, well, Zach Britton is great, so these other pitchers will be great. That's not how it works. However, it that is a devastating pitch, pitch, though. is a devastating pitch, and it's the kind of pitch that raises your floor so high that the ceiling becomes a little bit less important. So, for example, if you have that pitch, you're never going to give up one homer per nine. You're just not. Exactly. You're going to have like a 60 to 65% ground ball rate. And that's and if you don't give up one homers per nine, that's a really easy way to keep your job if you're ever given the chance as a closer. Because you're not going to give up that big home run that blows the whole game. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, I think if Kelly runs into a couple lefties or runs into an injury and the Nationals don't do anything other than maybe the Nationals sign Dan Hudson or maybe the Dash Nationals sign Brad Ziegler, you know, do something on the cheaper end. Because one of the things I think that came up with Melanson was they weren't willing to give him the money. That's what I heard. That's, that's what I think was out there. They weren't willing to give him that money. Yep. So if they weren't willing to give him that money, they're not going to be in on, on Jansen. Exactly. Yeah. Neftali Feliz uh, is out there, too. You think there's any chance that he's ready to assume another closer's role? Because he looked pretty solid with uh, with Pittsburgh last year. Right, but they probably also have lost... Um, they probably also, you know, have learned a little bit of something from the Papelbon stuff, where um, they don't necessarily want to bring in a new guy with a, a spotty track record, or a new guy that's not been in the clubhouse and say, this is our closer. Especially if it's Feliz or Hudson, right? I don't think that they want to be like, "Hey, this guy who's been up and down." Um, you know, sorry, Kelly, sorry, Trinan. This so is think, our guy. Oh, cool. I think this, will, I think this is going to be a rife with opportunity for people next year, and you're going to have to take your, you're going to pick your guy, and um, I'm going to do the Dyson thing. And you know, I'm I'm not saying that I was super right on the Dyson thing because it took a while. You know, sure. It's not like I got 40 saves for everybody that believed in Dyson, but at the same time, you know, you were eventually right. And it's not like you, you got screwed by Dyson before he got the saves. You That's know what the I mean? thing. He was, he was high quality, low ERA, solid yeah. whip, um, even while you were waiting for the saves. And, hey, don't sell yourself short. He got 38, you know? He got 38? Yeah, I didn't realize it was that many either. He didn't start Gee. closing until mid-May, and he still popped 38. Nice. That's pretty nasty. As much as I love Kelly, he's he's got a little bit of Gregerson to him, where he just he throws like fifty fifty sliders, fastballs. Yep, and That's a good he comparison. used to be he used to be Gregerson. Like there were times when I thought he'd be Gregerson with ninety four. Like early on with the Mariners, he was ninety three plus, uh, but now he's like ninety two and uh, sort of fifty fifty. And I think those guys make people nervous. I mean, last year he gave it one point four homers per nine. That's I think that's why they sort of manage can't and have that in the bullpen are, as a closer. Huh? Can't have that as closer. It's just too yeah, scary. I, I, that that home run just it changes everything. And I think guys that throw that many sliders are vulnerable to platoon spits. And then also maybe just like some guys can see the slider real well, right? So mm-hmm. you're you're just like, oh, uh, we're gonna go to training here, you know? 
So um, I don't know. No, I, 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 I totally, totally hear you there. It's all about money. If you're in a league where all of a sudden training is getting bid above Kelly, then then go with Kelly, I guess. But um, or if you could really do it, you know, pick both of them uh, late. And I think between whoever does get it, I think is going to be really good and cheap. I agree. I agree. Well, let's talk some let's talk some moves that have happened instead of dealing with the theoretical. And we're going to get back to closers in a minute, but we got to cover the two big trades first uh, that the White Sox have done. Chris Sale out to Boston for Yoan Mankata, Michael Kopech, uh, Luis Alexander Bazabe, and Victor Diaz. I think I nailed those those uh, those two prospects properly there. Um, huge deal, right? I mean, we, we kind of started to figure that Chris Sale was going to go. The smoke really started to heat up. There was fire. All of a sudden, we're hearing, okay, Nats might have shifted their focus over from McCutcheon to Sale. Boom. Red Sox do it. Trader Dave strikes again. Dave Dombrowski thinks prospects are stupid. No, that's not true. <laughs> he just thinks that they can get him what he, he wants, which is uh, – what's that? He would trade his own mother. Absolutely, if she, especially if she was a top ten prospect. Yeah. He would definitely trade trade his own son if he was a, uh, if he was a top ten prospect. So he, he moves prospects – to improve the team and and you know take a shot at winning it. So this is this is an all-in sort of deal. Uh, it's a lefty-heavy rotation now for the Red Sox. They're going to go Sale, Price, Porcello uh, right in the middle there, and then Eduardo Rodriguez and Drew Pomeranz. So four lefties. Sale over to the Red Sox. He's changing his socks. How do you feel about it? Um, you know, I, I had an interesting conversation with somebody who uh, felt that they knew the situation, and they said that um, Sale kind of looked around and saw that uh, a throwing at a higher velocity is a higher risk for mm-hmm. health, which it is, mm-hmm. uh, and that b um, he could see other starters like Justin Verlander and other pitchers struggling with adjustments once their velocity went down. And C, he knew that they were going to wear those throwback uniforms again this year, and he wasn't having that. <laughs> so he thought he'd cut those right up. But, you know, the the idea of, you know, his velocities being down, going down so kind of quickly, I think what the person was suggesting was he's doing that on purpose. And that mm-hmm. he, wants to, he wants to live at this velocity because it's going to be healthier and because he thinks it'll last, it'd be long, longer lasting success. And I think given that the velocity decrease already happened and he was still so good and that we can see that framing really hurt him this year, um, I think the framing will get better, uh, the support will get better, the winds will get better. Uh, I don't think that the park is, is, is a problem. In fact, Actually. because... Because it's 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 nicer, uh, it's it's harder on right-handers than left-handers. Um, Boston is, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think I think it's the I think it's the other way. Uh, lefties have trouble hitting homers out there. Uh, From a homer because, standpoint, although homers are not the major factor. Actually, Podhorzer did a breakdown of this. Yeah, but I, there's that triples. There's that that the power alley in Boston for lefties is um, that weird like outfield where it gets real big there the triangle the, yeah the triangle yeah so um i think he'll be fine i don't think that uh the two parks are are one is way scarier than the other i think they're I both slightly offensive and he's been great in both and um 
Um, and I think the better framing will 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 uh, improve his walk rate, and I think he has learned to live at this this velocity. And the only thing that's always been the thing with Chris Sale is just uh, is his health. But maybe this velocity is better for him. Exactly, and that's that's the thing that you know still heard some negative. Well, you know his health. I mean, at some point, we got to stop. Like, yeah, he might break down, but he's he's been healthy for five years with like one DL stint. I think he had one in twenty fourteen. Because uh, he only threw 26 starts, and that was arguably his best season, by the way. 217 ERA, .97 WHIP. I mean, the dude has been a flat-out stud for five years, and everyone just keeps waiting for him to get hurt, and it doesn't happen. So I think at some point we maybe say, okay, yeah, he could get hurt. He has risk like any other pitcher, but I don't know that he has heightened risk. It's not that yeah. he's risk-free. No, no starter is. But I don't know that we have to continue to worry that he's des- definitely going to break down because of these mechanics. Because we just haven't seen it. In fact, this year was a career-high 227 innings. So I like Chris Sale out there in Boston. I don't know that it drastically changes his fantasy value, though, because I think we already had him kind of in contention for that number three spot behind Kershaw and Scherzer. And I don't see him leapfrogging Scherzer. So I think he's still right there in that 3-4-5 area, kind of depending on your preference. Maybe he's a little bit more established as the three guy if you really like him. But I'm... I'm kind of just leaving him where I had him, which is which is right there in that in that first tier. Although I guess I, I would kind of put Kershaw on his own tier. So in that second tier, with four or five guys that I would maybe look at in the uh, second third round. But for the most part, I'm I'm kind of passing on those guys anyway and waiting to get a pitcher in the uh, the late fourth, early fifth round as far as starter. So let's talk about what happens for the White Sox. They get Moncada who, as you mentioned earlier, could could see some time already this year with the club, and Michael Kopech. Those are the two principles. We're going to focus on them. The other two are solid prospects. I think Bazabe uh, was top 10 for the Red Sox. Victor Diaz was a, more of a back-end guy uh, in terms of the top 30. I think he was 28th on MLB's top 30 there. But this is a starving system. So the fact that they even got four top 30 guys, including three top 10s, was absolutely huge. But let's focus on Moncada and Kopech. I know Moncada had 20 lame at-bats in the majors. I don't really care about that at all. Um, he's going to be 22 next year. Tell, tell me a little bit about Yohan Moncada as a potential, uh, Im- uh, what, what his potential impact could be next year for the White Sox. Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to people about, you know, Moncada versus Benintendi because I think at some point, you know, the White Sox made Benintendi the price for business and um, then they took they took a package around Moncada. And I think actually both still have their their prospect eligibility. So Correct. You you could have an argument about whether which which one is the number one prospect in baseball. I mean Dansby's there too, but I don't think Dansby's offensive profile is up there with those other two. And so I don't think you could have a, a, a bigger difference in um, prospect. I guess some people pointed out that Moncada did really well in uh, the minors too, so it's not like it's all just tools. But in terms of like ceiling and floor, I think Benintendi probably has the highest floor of any prospect. I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be a player. He's gonna be you know worst case scenario, he's just a good player, just a good uh, hitter. Yeah, right. And uh, and Moncada, I think with like a thirty one percent strikeout rate and seventeen percent whiffs when he came up. You know, he there's a possibility he's not much at all. Like he, he like he is a more high profile sort of Brandon Wood situation. He has bust now, potential if he doesn't 
get his yeah. uh, swing and miss under control. Right. So, you know, which one do you prefer? Uh, and, and maybe if you're building a team, you want the guy with the high floor because you you got something you're going to definitely build on. But it looks like the White Sox were much more content with going for ceiling. I mean, if you look across the different prospects, the, the one complaint I would have is that all the guys they got um, are are high ceiling, low floor guys. But um, you know, if those guys work out, then then they've got something going. So. That's probably why they got an abundance of them because, yeah, they, they know that there is some, some risk for things to not pan out. Right. So I like the the return that they got um, for uh, sale much more than I like the, the return they got for Eaton. And we, we can get to that, but, um, you know, I'd rather have a high floor, a high ceiling, low floor bat than um, what I see, you know, Giolito and, and Ronaldo Lopez may have some decent ceiling left based on the fact that they average 95 with the fastball, but I think their floors are very low, and I and I think they're probably closer to their floors than Mankata. Mankata... Let's, let's get to them last. in just one moment. I, I want to get your thoughts on Kopech as well. Yeah. Well, um, I think Kopech, you know, is like Giolito and, and Lopez, but I'd put him comfortably first of the three. Okay. And uh, because his velocity comes with movement, his breaking ball is good, and I saw a few good change-ups in Arizona. So um, I think uh, – and the stuff that people talk about makeup, I don't know. It is makeup stuff, but it's not like DUIs and um, – There was some maturity aspect. He has a PED suspension, and he broke his hand fighting a teammate. But the, but the PED was a it was an upper. Oh, okay. So, okay. so he's like an amphetamine punch the wall, you know, competitive type. You know, he's. Uh, but there's lots of those guys in baseball. He's, uh, you know, you could spin it and say he's competitive and he wants to win. You know, so, um, you know, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I like Kopech. I'd rather have him than Giolito or Ronaldo Lopez. I like Moncada. I think people who are listening know that Benintendi would be my number one prospect because that's your boy. Yeah, but I'm just like a floor guy, you know. I like high floors. I like I like having guys that'll work out. I don't want to have to have you know field ten guys for five positions. You know, I don't want to you know have to fill my team with number one prospects that cost a ton to to acquire. I'd rather you know have some nice floor that uh, makes sure that my lineup doesn't have holes in it. You know, I agree. Um, I, I I I stand with you on that. I I generally lean, especially in the fantasy realm, I lean toward um, that floor as well especially when we're talking about the upper level so that you know there is still tons of upside. It's not like when we say floor for Benintendi, we're talking about a guy who isn't great. Like His floor means he could still be a really, really good player hitting 280 with like 20, 20-something bombs every year. Yeah. Uh, and the upside is over 300 like and pushing 30. With the 30, yeah. I mean, he could be – he's a special bat. So Nasty, nasty bat. Okay, well, well, Kata, you know, everyone looks at the tools and they, they, they sort of drool on the tools – but in one half season, he went from high A to double A, and he went from 36 steals and 280 plate appearances to nine in 207 in double A. So, you know, those went away so fast that I wonder if he wasn't just stealing on fools because they weren't, they couldn't do anything about it, and um, he, that 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 steals portion of his profile is going to go away, you know, quicker than people think. It certainly looks like something that could evaporate quickly. I I, I definitely agree there. Um, as it relates to Yohan Makata. So, that, that so was I a, think we're talking about like Miguel Sano type. He might be a Miguel Sano type with 
more positional value, which, you know, um, you know, if he ends up on the middle infield, if you get Miguel Sano at second base, and know that people are a little bit down on Sano right now, um, but, uh, and I, that's ne- that's definitely not his, like, you know, 10th, per- 90th percentile outcome. I'm talking about, you know, more like 50, 60 percentile, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a, a Miguel Sano second baseman would make me very happy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. I, I would definitely take upside. that. There's still upside with with Miguel Sano. I know I was negative on him uh, with regards to his draft value coming into this year, but doesn't mean I don't like the talent. The power is is evident, and if you're getting that kind of pop out of second base in Yoan Makata with a little bit of speed still, uh, even if it's not stolen bases but just on-base speed, that would definitely work for the White Sox. Let's talk about their Adam Eaton returns. This is a very divisive trade. Actually, I don't even know if it's divisive because most people are just fully against it. Uh, I think you and I are, are, are among the uh, small group that says step back a little bit, and it, it's it's not this uh, god awful deal that a lot of folks are making it out to be. Adam Eaton goes to the White uh, goes from White Sox to Nationals for Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and their first round pick this year, Dane Dunning, who I know literally nothing about. Um, Let's 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 dive in here. Let's let's talk about Adam Eaton as it relates to going to the Nationals. He was a six-win player last year. It was with a defensive spike, but three and four-win player the two years before that. Yeah, you know, and we're gonna verge into the real-life analysis here real quick, just because you know people were acting as if you know just because he isn't a six-win player, he's bad. Um, he's comfortably above average when it comes to base running defense and um, and offense no matter where he plays defensively um, and I think basically last year I think showed that he can be a scratch center fielder and you know it's interesting you can say a scratch center fielder may not provide you above average defensive value at center field but he provides you above average defensive value period Mm-hmm. Because center field is a tough position, so if you can get a guy who can play to zero at center field, that's useful. And they get to and they get to put Trey Turner back at short and get Danny Espinosa out from being a starter too. There's a residual effect there too. They go from a guy who's third. They they're going to replace a bat in the lineup that was thirty percent worse than uh, league average to a guy who's in Eaton that's twenty percent better. So that's a huge swing. Now you're making the, the, the guy with a 70 WRC+, plus, the guy who's 30% worse than the bat, you're making him a, uh, an all-around-the-field backup. You're making him your shortstop, second-base backup. Exactly. And a utility guy that he can come in, maybe pop that homer when they need it, but you're not relying on him for 601 plate appearances, which is what Danny Espinosa got last year. That's crazy. Right. And so, and then the people forget the contract too. Adam Eaton is paid like nine to ten million dollars a year to be a three to four win player. That's a lot of surplus value for a five win, years. A, you know, a four win player should cost you you know twenty twenty five million on the market. So hell, on uh, average, it's not even nine to ten. It's four six eight point four nine and a half and ten and a half. And those last two are options. So if he totally bottomed out, obviously they wouldn't have to pay him. But he'd have to be ten million for two years. Yeah, he'd have to be so awful. For for the nine and a half and ten and a half to not be worth it at at age uh, thirty one and thirty two in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one for Eaton and people were like oh is this Hayward I'm like no dude Eaton is much more consistent when it comes to offense Hayward you could see it coming a mile away you know the mm-hmm. dude had a thirty home run season and he had like a five home run season you know what I mean it's like <laughs> Adam Eaton is more 
he's metronome, man. He's had a 360 OBP like four straight years. Yeah, uh, so three years running 362, 361, 362. Yeah. Like that at the top of the order, 36% on base. That is yeah. like the fact that he had a 120 WRC plus in 2014 with one homer is pretty impressive. Like, I know right. you can get value elsewhere, but just the fact that he was able to do that with one homer in 538 plate appearances tells you where he was getting value elsewhere, even though the pop wasn't there, um, at least not the pop over the fence. Yeah, well, and he, he's been quoted as saying that soon the D-backs wanted him to push the ball everywhere because they, saw, they thought he had no po- power. But, you know, given the fact that he's still, he is 5'8 or 5'9, you know, he does have some pop. And uh, the White Sox, you know, w- when they had him for a second and third year, they they told him, you know, it's fine to pull the ball, um, and his pull rate went up a little bit, and uh, he, he showed more power, and he put the ball in the air, uh, you know, a little bit more, and um, I mean, yeah, a lot more. I mean, when, the first year when he got to the White Sox, it was three ground balls for every fly ball, and then he settled in around two the next couple of years. So, Jeez. you know, I think uh, I think that'll serve him well. The weird thing is now we have to go over in fantasy because. In fantasy, he, you know, it's it's possible to overrate a type like this because mm-hmm. it's going to be very runs dependent. Um, you know, it's not going to be probably not going to be like a three thirty average. So he will give you some batting average, and he won't be a zero anywhere. Um, and it's it is, I guess, a little bit like the the problem that you have in real baseball, where it's sort of hard to value a guy like that. But if your league has anything is like OBP or slu- OBP slugging. You know he's going to be underrated. Or, if your league or is requires OBP, be um, distinct outfielders. Yeah, you can he's going to be give value there. All, he's going to be eligible in left field, and you may actually want to play him in left field because there's so few left fielders. So, you know, uh, I, you know, I think Eaton is going to be probably be underrated in 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 real life and fantasy, but you know, it's a little bit less um, sure in in fantasy. But uh, and then the other guys. The other guys going the other way. I'm for. Sure. I think they're totally overrated. Yeah, we'll talk about them just one second. He scored 98, 91 runs. Eaton did the last two years on the White Sox. Yeah, put him at the top of the Nats order. Bryce Harper healthy for a full year. Full year. Trey Turner. We're looking at a hundred, hundred plus. Did you say one hundred and twenty? I mean, he could. I mean, it's because possible. Turner and him are just going to be nuts at the top of the yep. order. Completely agree. Yeah. Now let let's talk about those returns because I think that's what has everybody up in arms. And here's the thing. I'm just going to be real, y'all. I know that a lot of you that are heavily against this deal, thinking that the Nats vastly overpaid, you've never seen Lucas Giolito pitch. Don't, don't <laughs> Stop fronting. Stop fronting. And you probably haven't even seen Reynaldo Lopez pitch. So I don't want to hear your bull crap, okay? Now, I'm not saying everybody, but I feel like the vast majority who are out here just going crazy, all they've done, you know, they've read, they've read, Kylie's stuff from past years, uh, log and hanging stuff this year, BA, uh, BP, you know, they've gone and read the stuff and that's fine. That's, that's how I get a lot of my prospect info too, but I don't speak in definitives when all I've done is read some stuff. And I think people are out there saying some pretty definitive stuff when they don't have anything to back it up. And if you saw the 21 innings last year, 
uh, in the majors from Lucas Giolito, I don't know how you could be so high on him because they weren't even that good. So he had a bad taste in the majors. His stock had gone down, not just based on that, just based on his whole season. And I think that the the league knew that the the Nats were lower on him. So the prospect ratings that he got last year, you know, influence what the what the fans and analysts think. But I don't think it was the same feeling in the in the baseball world. So so talk to us a little bit about these guys going back. Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning over to the White Sox. I mean, I'm not going to talk crap on Giolito's curveball. It's uh, it, it does have nice depth. When he breaks one off and he commands a little bit, um, it looks nice. It's a real, it's a good pitch. It's it's not, you know, high spin like top ten high spin, but it's above average spin. Um, it's a good pitch, but. You know the changeup is you know boring in terms of movement. has has good velocity gap, but that that means it's depending on his four seam. And I think the four seam is the real source of the disagreement. Some people say ninety three, ninety four, the giddy app. Other people say that thing is straight as a string, man. It was supposed to be a seventy eighty like a potential eighty grade pitch. It was that not. was already seventy, and it sure as hell was not in the major league appearances that I saw. And that's what that's where watching, I think, really gives you a, a clue. Because I can tell you that it was a below average spin, and not like a low low spin uh, fastball where you start getting sink and being interesting that way. Mm-hmm. It was just a blah spin pitch. And like you, you said, straight as an arrow at ninety three, ninety four. Like even popping at ninety five, ninety six. Sometimes we've said this a million times. If it's straight as an arrow, major league pitcher, major league hitters are going to smash that. E O Val D. Oh man, it, it's so it's so accurate. Baldy had a good slider. He had good velocity, and people couldn't figure out why he wasn't putting it together. And I myself thought it was, oh, he needs a changeup. He needs a changeup. He and needs then, a changeup. Then he got the changeup. He got a good split, like a legitimately good splitter, and he still sucked. Almost about the same because if you, if anybody ever guessed right on the fastball, straight as a string, and 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 there it goes. So, and you know, Lopez is not necessarily the same I would say this Ronaldo Lopez fastball does have a similar problem because okay. it's low spin as well and uh, it has basically average movement which I think some people would say that's average movement I, I think average movement is straight you know it's like it doesn't have better than average movement you know it doesn't have good movement it has blah movement so you know his change up is probably um, a little better uh, but his curve might be a little bit worse, and he throws his curve twice as much as his changeup. So, um, I, you know, a lot of people are hanging uh, future number three on Lopez, which to me says that's a good case scenario. That is perfect world scenario. I think so. And uh, I talked to other people who said he was a reliever. And so, here's the thing: you get three prospects, three pitching prospects. I think the realistic expectation is one pans out, one's a reliever, and one flames. Like that's right. that that's just kind of how the numbers so, break down. And for me, if it's the uh, you know <clears throat> F Mary kill, yeah. Um, I, I what was that? Who do you think pan? See, I'm a, a Mary Kopech. Okay. I'll Mary Kopech just because I think worst case scenario he's a closer, a, a stud closer. I I, I agree. And um, I might f Lopez <laughs> because that's that that suggests to me like 
low investment, right? Like a one night stand, like <laughs> up investment. You know, maybe they turn out to be great. So like like a, like a four, like like you think he could maybe like be a consistent starter for a little while. Yeah, and and he'll definitely cost less than Giolito. I will kill Giolito. I do. <laughs> Because I don't want to, I don't want to. He's gonna cost. There's gonna be someone in your league who still believes, and he's gonna cost money, and he's gonna cost, you know, draft stock. He's gonna cost, you know, prospects in a trade if you want to get him. You know, I, I'm out. So the, the name value carries a lot of weight still in fantasy leagues, where I don't think you're gonna be able to get him on the cheap like you're saying. And so he is. Giolito is gonna cost the most. Uh, out of this group that we're talking. Those are the three primaries. What about Dane Dunning? Do you know anything about him? Because like I said, he's a University of Florida product, first-round draft pick. I saw some decent things said of him on Twitter yesterday, but I, I know I don't know one thing about him that I could say that is original thought from my brain. He's 6'4", 200, looks like you know, solid, solidly built kid. Um, did all right in 36 innings last year as a, a in the rookie in low A, but that was a college guy who was older than the level that he was at. Just a shot in the dark. I mean, it's um, a late um, first rounder. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, that's that's better than most shots in the dark because uh, because first rounders have better outcomes than, than other people. But uh, let's see what Long and Hagen has to say. Uh, he has a starters build, like you said, delivery, athleticism, and stuff. Running his sinking heater up to ninety five and pitching with an above average, vertically breaking mid eighties slider. Um, college innings were. Were limited by role because he was a closer. Oh, ah, okay. So his below average changeup has to get a lot better, and some in some cases you get a college reliever and they're fresher. Their arm hasn't has many miles on it, and you discover a good pitch there and you make them into a good starter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say that's a rare case. So. I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about him. He seems like he's a little bit further away. I will say uh-huh. um, we're we're a little bit negative on on the returns here for Eaton in terms of that that high peak that a lot of people see. I still like that they got three solid arms for Adam. Like I still think it's a good return. I just don't think yeah, that they dominated no, the no trade. Bat, no bad back for Eaton. You know. Yeah, I just don't think you were going to get Victor Robles. Right, and Victor Robles, you know, was what Pittsburgh wanted uh, the price to, to to price to play for 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 Andrew McCutcheon. And I think, honestly, oh, there's that word. Damn that word! <laughs> I would take the Adam Eaton trade if I was Washington because I keep my Robles, which is that's the guy you want to hold on to through thick and thin. You want to have a crown jewel if it is only to get the best thing at the trade deadline that you can get. And a know? crown jewel hitter because that, yeah. you know, if he goes out, like this kid's like nine years old or something, like he, and he gets sexy tools, super far out, but if he has another big, big half season here, like you said, and they need to go push, they can go get whatever they want. And then worst, best case, obviously, is that they don't need a whole lot at the deadline. They can just keep him. And they, like you said, they still have that crown jewel stud prospect that they're waiting on. And then if if one Bryce Harper does leave, that kind of marries with the time that hopefully Robles is kind of ready to emerge. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. Exactly the Harper the Harper situation. So, so um, okay. Well, that 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 covers those trades. Let's dive into the other transactions here, and let's go let's go a little crazy on some closers. Uh, Aroldis Chapman back to the Yankees. 
there was there was a lot of smoke here with this one. Five years, eighty-two million dollars. There were some talks of oh, he's going to get a hundred mil. Uh, Melanson got his deal. Melanson had like nine minutes where he was the highest <laughs> highest closer deal ever um, before before Chapman blew him out of the water. Here it's a three year full no trade, uh, eighty six mil, excuse me, and then two years where he can't be traded to California. Eat it, California. <laughs> Chapman, Chapman's not interested. Remember um, those rumors that Chapman was going to go to the Dodgers? Yeah, GG on that one. Good game there. Yeah. That, not happening. So. You know, he goes back to the, he goes back to the Yankees um, like an hour or two after I drafted Dylan Batances in the RotoWire magazine fantasy mock. Sweet life, Paul. Not that I'm mad about Dylan Batances. You know, he's still valuable even without saves. Obviously, he's going to go back and close, um, and we'll talk about what the Cubs did to fill fill their closer hole once uh, once Chapman was was resigned. How do you feel about this deal? Back to New York. Uh, is it too much? Five years, 86 mil? I mean, are, are you worried about it? Like the last giant deal for a closer was BJ Ryan, which has everyone freaking out. But that's also one one data point. Yeah, um, but uh, the the last two big ones that were 60 mil uh, in today's dollars were BJ Ryan and... Um, the other one worked out. Billy Wagner. Well, Billy. So the the last four biggest deals. Let me see. I have a piece called um, "Will We See a Hundred Million Dollar Reliever," which I guess the has been answered. No. In the the rule of the rule of headlines is uh, no always <laughs> uh, to the answer. Uh, but uh, previous sixty mil guys, B.J. Ryan and John Papelbon, and I would say one worked out, one didn't. I mean, and we're not doing wins here because they're, they're not so great for relievers. But I would just say sniff test, I think Pavel Bond near the end was a little bit, and he choked a guy, I know, but like pretty much was a really good closer all the way through. Excellent until yes, last year, until this year. Yeah, he surprised people a little bit, but it, I think that was worth it. And then B.J. Ryan was not worth it because he was only good for one year out of the four. And then he died. Yeah, I mean, well. Like he blew up. He's right, not okay. dead. He's actually uh, the other guys that were close were Billy Wagner for the Mets, 6 09. Um, and he didn't quite make it through his last season, but the other three seasons were elite. And uh, uh, Joe Nathan with the Twins, I think, 08 to 11. That's the Twins, I think. Um, I'm looking right now. Yeah. 08 to 11. Yep, that's the Twins. And um, th- two great years, a Tommy John, and then. The return was shaky. Not, yeah, so I would say it didn't work out. So 50-50 on the 60-mil guys, 50-50 on the near 60-mil guys. Um, and then by if you sort the list by average annual value, um, the two top ones were Mariano Rivera and Rafael Soriano on, on um, $15 million. Um, so, you know, Chapman did blow by all those, even in today's dollars. Because what, what the, what, what's he, That was when um, Soriano went to the Yankees, right? Yeah, he got two years, twenty-eight. It was fifty-fifty. The first year was he was a setup guy, but he wasn't even that good. Four, four twelve ERA, one thirty WHIP. The second year, when he did close, two twenty-six ERA, forty-two saves, one seventeen WHIP with uh, nine point two Ks. I think I don't think I think I wish those deals were still around for relievers. They don't. They aren't. Mm-hmm. But uh, if those deals were still around, and I could get like. Um, like a good but oldish, like um, like a K Rod or something, 
for two for fourteen, two for two at fourteen each or something. I would like that maybe best because you have the upside of your like an elite proven reliever, mm-hmm. and you're not uh, you're not shopping in the bottom. Um, you know, I think that the years of like Andrew Miller types um, going, he went for uh, four for thirty six, and um, I, I think those deals aren't really out there anymore because they you sign your Nate Jones if you have them, you sign the guys that exactly. have those skills, and you sign them under market. And you don't let them go to market. So, you know, what we're looking at here is do you go big in the 80, 85 million for Jansen uh, Chapman? Or did you get Melanson for 60 million? I would rather get Jansen and Chapman. I still and, would and too. If because I didn't get Jansen and Chapman, I would go get Ziegler or Hudson or Felix. I just. Melanson was just a little bit too not making a decision, you know? Yeah, I thought the disparity was going to be higher to where I would want Melanson more, but but the dollars just aren't that different. I mean, they're, they're different, right? It's it's 24 mil. I get it uh, between Melanson and Chapman in, in terms of raw dollars. I kind of expected it to be like 55 versus 100, though, because we were yeah. talking 100 mil for, for Chapman. And in terms of, you know, go back to wins above replacement real quick, Aroldis Chapman has the best wins above replacement, um, three-year wins above replacement going into his contract season out of all of these relievers. And he's the second youngest to uh, Francisco Rodriguez when he came out. So, um, you know, I think... uh, And and Francisco Rodriguez, his velocity was already going down. Yeah, he's all about that changeup. Hasn't really shown anything. No, uh, Ch- Chapman is still utterly ridiculous uh, with, with his talent. Can I, I'm gonna put you on the spot here, and uh, you can you know let me know how you feel. Like if, this is obviously not fantasy related, but how do you feel about Chapman with regards to the domestic violence case that he had last year and a team signing him? Like, yeah, I don't love it. I don't love it, and I like the – there's a few ventures out there where people are talking about um, donating uh, to domestic violence charities for every strikeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would take a, take a look around for, for that because that, that can make you feel better as a fan. That, sure. Even though he's – It's um, tough to cheer for him, you know, right. knowing, that, knowing that he did that. And any of the guys that do that, this is not a Chapman-specific thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's a growing thing with, if you, whether you watch what – whatever sport you watch – um, you're dealing with some bad guys possibly and being DUI on your team. not great either. You know, you got Jungle Gong coming with back three. with third. Uh, yeah. Three, man. What are you – God, what are you doing? Right. So uh, I think personally Jansen would have been my guy. That's my middle. That's my Goldilocks. You know, I think you can get him for $80 million, so it's only $20 million more than Melanson. He's got three miles an hour more than Melanson, and if you like cutters, he, he's got a great cutter. So mm-hmm. – you know, maybe he doesn't have that great secondary pitch, but I think yes. it's good enough that he can he can start throwing it more as he ages if he needs to. And what I really liked from Jansen was that he showed that he can be the multi-inning guy in the playoffs when you need him. I like that. You know, I like getting that taste where it's, okay, you can do it. Because, you know, they started to push Chapman toward the end in those playoffs, um, but that's never been his big thing to have multi-inning outings. In fact, that's been the situation where he's said – I'm not really interested in that. And again, we saw the, of course, when they when they go the longest uh, or one of the longest was the game that 
probably shouldn't have. They were up what nine to three that game. Mm. That was utterly ridiculous, and it was the and day. Then when I asked for long again, it didn't work out so well. Exactly, because then then he, then he uh, kind of crapped the bed there in in Game Seven. So he goes back to the Yankees. Obviously, he's going to be a close uh, closer for them. He's going to be the top uh, at the top of the heap, kind of however you want to break it down. Um, you know, you, 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 I like what you said there about if if, if the domestic violence thing. Obviously, it, it bothers us. It, it's problematic. The word uh, that gets thrown around. I like that donating for every strikeout to something that supports domestic violence uh, survivors, because um, I, you know, there's there's not a good way to square it, particularly if you're a Yankees fan, uh, other than something like that. All right, let's move on to what the Cubs went ahead and did. Then, obviously, that was their guy last year. They lost him. I didn't think that they were going to go ahead and say, "Oh, we'll just stick with Rondone." Uh, or go to like Pedro Strope. So they went ahead and traded for Wade Davis. And they traded Jorge Soler in a straight up just one for one deal. One year of Wade Davis for four years of Jorge Soler. Soler does have a, a contract in place, but he can opt into arbitration starting next year. However, I don't necessarily see that as such a problem because it's not like he's put up the numbers to necessarily crush the 4.7 mil that he's due. So, yeah, I mean, he could make, if he goes out and dominates this year and then opts in, he's going to get paid more, but you got a dominant season for it. To this point, he has 765 plate appearances of 107 OPS plus. So he's been a little bit above average. And that's the makeup of that was a great 24 games in 2014, uh, average 404 plate appearances in 2015, and then slightly above average 264 plate appearances this year at a 105. So Wade Davis first out in Chicago does have a few scare issues, two forearm injuries forearm strain flexor strain this year that put him on the dl they were kind of back to back he came back realized it wasn't healthy went right back on the dl um strikeout rate velocity down walk rate era whip up swinging strike rate was up too though so maybe the strikeout concern isn't as bad wade davis as a cub what do you think um it's funny there was this is like a chat question i've gotten forever would you know, would you trade Jorge Soler for Wade Davis? And because I gotten I had gotten it so much, and because there were rumors, I knew that it would be something like that. But you know, when Dave Cameron wrote his piece on on fixing the Royals, uh, he said trade trade him for Jorge Soler plus Heimer Candelario because we can't help but be stuck at least a little bit in our past, which used to say that you know you don't trade a, a bat for a reliever. Yeah. Especially Absolutely. not like a bat with five years of control or whatever. It's for for a bat for a reliever with one year. Um, but you know, I did this. I did this thing where I went off the record with front office guys. It's up on ESPN now, ESPN Insider, and I asked them what are the things that fans don't understand about the game. And two two answers that were relevant to this situation is the first is every pitcher is injured at all times. That's um, true. That was, that was one answer that was that's, I thought was interesting. Yeah. So like just once the season of, starts, they are less than a hundred percent. It's a matter of where. Yeah, and how much they can, how much. And they starters, can you, you'll regularly yeah. hear starters talk about how. I think even Smoltz talked about this with us. Like ten starts where everything's on, ten starts where nothing's on, <laughs> and then ten starts where one, maybe two of your four pitches or one of your three are really on, and then you got to figure out the rest. You don't yeah. just go out there with your best stuff for 30 starts a year. It just does not happen that way. 
And it's really interesting when you think about it. I think we lose sight of that often as as fans and analysts. That said, I and I saw you know uh, Michael Bauman, who I really respect on the Ringer. He said you know the the uh, that the Cubs won this one going away because um, Soler is a is a Ooh. boring bat. You know, other relievers are getting. Uh, better returns. Wade Davis is an elite that's, guy. That's in season, though. That's different. I think. I think in I, season versus off season is different. And if you're comparing to like a Thornburg deal, Thornburg had like three more years of control. So exactly, and doesn't have uh, forearm issues. I I I like this the other way, man. It's like pretty definitive for me. I, I see I, Wade I Davis being very likely to be hurt this year. The one thing that you can say. You know, even if guys are hurt all the time, the one thing you can say is the past injury produced future injury, and he was injured last year. Twice. Um, you know, I, I don't like that. Um, it's only one year of control. Yes, he was elite, but how long was he elite? He was elite for, you know, two years, you know? And we should say that even his down year for Wade Davis was a 187 ERA and a 113 whip. It was, so, but it was down in terms of strikeouts and innings exactly it, it and and the walks were up like it was down like the only thing that was still elite was the fact that the dude just does not he refuses to give up homers he's given up three in the last three years and they were all in 2015 yeah like that dude keeps the ball in the park so a healthy Wade davis is still going to be good but i just don't know how you look at this and you say it's a definitive cubs win that is an interesting take for me and i, I agree with you michael bauman knows his stuff this is not somebody who comes in it blindly and just throw stuff up against the wall but for me you know some might be kind of tempering what you're saying because they know you love Solaire but I'm even on that same side where I'm like I like this for the uh, Royals a lot because after this year they're losing their core to free agency they and they're not gonna be able to resign all of them it was Davis was gonna be up but so is Hosmer, Moustakis, Kane and Alcides Escobar like that is the core of their team and this is uh, kind of going along Cameron's post, which was, you know, they're good enough, and the the, the rest of the, their division is selling, that you know it might make sense to keep it together for a year and sell off at the deadline, and because it's not like Lorenzo one year Lorenzo Kane is going to get you a, a prospect haul, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. Um, so they're kind of screwed by the fact that all those guys are coming up next year because you know they they went too far. They should have sold last year if they were going to do this. So. Um, you know, by trading Davis for Solaire, the and this is the other thing that people were talking about too um, in my piece was people don't understand context and people don't want to understand it or people don't want to think about it. But the context of this deal makes it sort of a win-win for both, which is that the Cubs couldn't didn't have a place for Jorge, Jorge exactly Solaire. worth more to the the Royals than it would be the Cubs, and the 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 Royals are stuck in a position where they kind of want to stand pat. Um, but they kind of want to get something for future value. And Kelvin Herrera is going to be a, a great closer. I was just about to say that, you know, obviously you take out Wade Davis. He is a piece, and, and now you have to fill him in with a different piece. But in terms of the ninth inning, Kelvin Herrera might be better this year, especially yeah. if, if Wade Davis is nicked. And then you got – now it depends. Can, Hor- can, can Joaquin Soria come on a bounce back? He had a tough year last year. Um, yeah, but they they're they're, they're so bad at de- developing starters that they always have a really good bullpen. So always, uh, Matt Strom. You know, I would say give him a chance as a starter. But if if you just you know sold Wade Davis and you have you know five you know whatever starters, then maybe 
Matt Strom is going to be in the bullpen again, and he's going to be lights out. He's we are on the same team. wavelength there. A roster resource has him slotted to start right now. That's, that is how they're going to groom him. But if that doesn't work out, or if they go Danny Duffy style and they put him in the bullpen to start the season, then you've got Strom, Soria, Herrera at the back end. That's, that's an amazing bridge. Your bridge is pretty much intact. And I'm not sure that they're out on Greg Holland. You know, if, if that yeah. if that showcase that he had lowers his price a little bit, they bring him back in, hoping to build that velocity back up, and then he's right back in the mix. So maybe that's part of their plan as well. Um, although he could be an interesting piece. By the way, we weren't we were, we didn't mention him when we were talking about other avenues that teams could go. Right now, I think he's sou- people are sour on him because of that showcase where he was only throwing high eighties and popped a few low nineties. But that was right after his injury. I, I don't think that we should automatically believe that the showcase is now who Greg Holland is if he goes right. out again you know, and Brent throws. pointed out to me that you know you're you have one velocity in, in the bullpen you have another velocity in spring and you have another velocity on day one so exactly. uh, I would say probably true talent he's 91 92 right now that's still not quite Greg Holland but that's enough to I think get him like a uh, one one year for four million and an option at ten or something, you know. Or the Royals would be smart to do that. I think. I think that would be something that would be smart. Yeah. So I think a lot of teams uh, would. You know, maybe the Giants. There's, but the Giants say they're out of money. You know, maybe the Nationals do that sort of deal. But you know, I think Holland will have a major league deal. Now, the last part I wanted to talk about with this all this is that I have soured on Solaire. I was going to say, can you project Solaire a bit for me here? Not completely. I have not soured on Solaire in in uh, a complete sense, but I will say this: I do not think that he'll ever strike out at, at better than twenty five percent rate. That's fair. because twenty twenty eight percent career rate so far against seven hundred sixty five plate appearances, a fifteen percent swingy strike rate justifies that number and says that it, it's legit. And if you watch him, he he has the Andrew Jones problem. I think he can be uh, Andrew Jones without the defense, which is. Not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> no, not 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 quite a Hall of Famer there. But, uh, Andrew Jones about the defense. Short term usefulness. I mean, we're talking about 250 with a lot of pop. So um, I believe in the pop, and he will get fooled a lot, and it'll be 25 to 30 percent strikeout rates. But he also doesn't it, it, like he'll. It's a weird thing where it's almost like there's a control and command thing on the on the hitter side. You know, that's really walk. interesting. He'll walk, but it doesn't mean he's got great discernment. You know, what I mean? no, I, I think that's a great point. Keep going. Maybe okay. Maybe it's this. Maybe he knows where the zone is. Let me see what his reach rate is. What is his reach rate? Yeah, you know, last year he had a better than average reach rate. So I think he knows where the zone is, but I don't think that he can discern pitch types really well. So he'll still yeah. swing and miss on strikes in the zone that a lot of other players. Uh, Mike Crush. Oh, he! I saw him swing at miss at, at three straight uh, sliders, of which two were backup sliders. <laughs> but but they were all in the zone. Yep. So I think he swung at them. I think the idea was, I'm going to throw this guy a high slider. It's really hard to es- execute a high slider because that's not how you're taught. That's not what your body does, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why the sliders are a bit floaty. But they weren't fastballs, and so they worked almost like a changeup, you know, just a change of speed. Um, and he didn't know they were sliders, and he just he just whiffed so badly at them. So that that's what I think. I think he has a good idea of where the zone is, so he'll walk some if you're missing outside of the zone. But if you can throw him some, some you know, and not everybody can do that. You know, throw him 
uh, quality uh, breaking and, and soft stuff in the zone, I think that'll strike him out. But you know, because not everybody can do that, and because he has a good sense of the zone, I, I, I the only thing I'll add to his projection because he has a two fifty seven batting average, three thirty three OBP, four thirty three slugging. I'll add power to that because I was going to say I'm, I'm closer to four sixty with my like back of the napkin yeah, projection. I'll give him a two hundred ISO. I'll give him a two hundred ISO, and I'll give him like twenty five homers, even in Kaufman, because he's kind of like that Justin Upton thing where. Once he connects, it's gone. Baby. It's gone. It's gone. And yeah. he and he takes that that big swing. He swings for the downs regularly. That's part of his swinging miss yeah. as well for Jorge Soler. So okay, two fifty seven with twenty five bombs. That's still valuable even with the power surge across the league. We're talking fourth outfielder type in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, if you have five outfielders, he's gonna be a starter. Yep. Um, and uh, and I think. I think there'd be opportunity for arbitrage here. I think there'd be an opportunity to, um, you know, either sell people on the fact he's going to Kaufman or the strikeout rate or the fact that he hasn't done it yet. Um, you might be able to get him cheap. I think, um, you know, it, it's hard to tell. He's he's just in that line with that where some people will be like, oh god, I love the tools and scouts used to love him and it's I'm really. Buy. Solaire is going to be one of those league-to-league players. You're going to have leagues where you have true believers still who are going to be ready to jump on him because now he has a full-time spot cleared. And then there's going to be other leagues where it's going to be uh, you know, 11 other folks who just aren't in, and you're, you're the believer, and so then you get to kind of take him when you want. So I agree with you. There are going to be some spots where you're going to say, wow, you got Solaire that late, and then there will be others where you see the draft board and say, wow, that guy took Solaire early. Um, but so, if you're and if you're listening to this, you're probably in these leagues. Um, uh, I'm going to use this term just because I think it, it captures it completely. I don't. I, I hope no one's offended or thinks I'm talking political. But if you're in a league that's projections fascist, mm-hmm. um, there is upside there. Yep. Because the projections I think are given that 175 ISO. There, there are you know I think six to eight homers in there. Um, and if if those six to eight hour homers are in there, then he's got runs and RBI upside. He'll be he'll hit a little bit better in the lineup than that suggests. So, um, yeah. So if you've got uh, projections faster than your leagues, then all right. Let's, let's talk some other signings here. Uh, let's stick with the with the closer theme. Then we'll get to three three big hitters who who signed up. Mark Melanson in San Francisco. We've already kind of talked about it. Uh, it, it 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 changes a little bit. He goes to a better park. He's out in the is uh, out west. He's still just going to be a 40-something save stud, though, right? I mean, is there any real major change to Mark Melanson going to the Giants? Uh, no, I, I would say that uh, the, the real worries for him are just um, are aging concerns because he, he's not starting with good strikeout rate, not starting with a good, uh, with a good velocity. So um, he's, not, uh, he's not a good keeper asset. But... Um, as far as like going year to year with him, I don't know. I I just he's not the guy who ends up on my rosters because I like better strikeout rates and I, strikeout I, fall, I fall for the the sexy strikeout guys as well. But if you quote unquote get stuck with him, if you're on the sour end of a closer run yeah. when all the when all the high K studs go and you have to take Melanson as your first guy and then you can gamble on you know an Edwin Diaz as your second guy, I'm completely fine with that. Like. You're, the, here, the dude's rock solid, and and here's we've all like we've talked about how it's difficult to have a uh, a, a command metric, but here's a here's a little bit of a, a command metric. 
Mark Melanson threw inside to lefties more than any other righty in baseball last year. He wow. hit one batter. Wow. So this is a guy throwing at people's hands, basically. He's throwing right there where Anthony Rizzo is on top of the friggin' plate. That cutter know? is just running in on them. And he didn't hit a single one. So, Or he hit one. I didn't check if it was lefty or righty. But he's uh, top three in all of baseball throwing inside, so he throws inside to righties too. And uh, the Pirates had a finding that if you throw inside first and then throw outside second, um, that there's a chaining effect there where, um, and I, you know, it's, it's pitching 101, but it's also, I think they have uh, findings that show this true. So, by the way, see Mark Melanson throw inside, then you're throwing, see him throw that big curve outside, and then sometimes he'll throw the curve inside, and that's how he gets people out. The hit by pitch was in his first game of the season, <laughs> and it was against Colton Wong. And then he's like, I, I can't believe I hit that clown. He never would have gotten a hit. I'm not hitting anybody the rest of the year, damn it. And then he yeah. didn't. He just said, I'm not going to do it. And I just, he, We just he, don't know how command ages. And, exactly. You know, you'd rather he was doing that at 93. And so. By the way, uh, I don't think many people or anybody really plays one. But if you play in a strikeout percent league, he's certainly better. Because like he has 8.2 8. Ks per nine. But a twenty-four percent strikeout because rate. his command is so good. Because exactly. it's walking anybody, yeah. Because he doesn't put anybody on base. So yeah, uh, that's enough on Melanson. Like I said, not too much changes. He's still that guy who's kind of in that second tier. That if you don't get the big strikeout studs and you again, quote unquote, get stuck with him, you're going to be fine. Just get somebody else to to back him up uh, to give it, get the strikeouts elsewhere. Joaquin Benoit out to Philly again. I think he's going to close, and Hector Neris is going to be that that fireman type. Benoit got him. Cheap. What's that? Keep keep him cheap. Exactly. Uh, and Benoit got himself back on track with Toronto until he got in that brawl and hurt himself and wasn't available to them in the playoffs. But but everything got back. He cut the walks. The homers disappeared again. He used to be a guy who doesn't give up homers. There, and he, he a big homer spike with uh, with Seattle in those twenty four innings. I mean that's that's four homers and that 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 constitutes a spike. So he got himself back on track. Point thirty eight ERA and a one hundred one WHIP. Uh, or excuse me, a 1.1 whip with Toronto. Going to be 39, but the dude's still good. Joaquin Benoit's he's, still solid. He's he's a back-end closer type. I wouldn't mind having him as my third closer. Agreed. I might take him ahead of a, of a final closer run um, just to not get uh, like the Jake Barrett types, you know. Exactly, although uh, we're going to talk about a guy who signed out in Arizona who could be taking that role, yeah. but I would still take Benoit above that guy. My segue went, went without me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eno fell off his Segway. No, there it goes. It's going on its own. <laughs> but Benoit, um, there is a there is one disturbing trend. If you look at edge percentage, the other uh, command metric that we've tried to come up with, there has been a three-year decline. Uh, last year was the worst of his career. So there is some decline in his command. It's amazing he still manages to throw 94, though. So um, I think uh, staying in the National League, you know, going up against some some iffier lineups. The fact that his Fosh, his, his changeup, and his a 94 mile an hour fastball are still there. Um, I think it'll be one of those very unexciting, yep. maybe even below average but above replacement kind of closer seasons. That kind of 19th best closer kind of situation, but. Probably better than taking a guy who's not a closer going into the season. Exactly. Like, don't don't just sleep on him because he's going to be thirty nine. Yes, yeah. it, something could happen at age thirty nine, and 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 the the injury could spike again. But this dude has stayed healthy uh, outside of again the brawl uh, since returning 
from I think it was Tommy John back in 2009 with Tampa Bay. I remember the Tigers gave him a three-year deal that, that turned some heads. It was big dollars. He was excellent for the Tigers, had a couple good years at San Diego, and then this year was the split season between Seattle and Toronto. The dude just keeps getting it done. He's a bit of an anomaly, but I think you could take Joaquin Benoit late, like you said, as your third closer and feel pretty good, especially if, you, if you're taking a gamble somewhere. Um, on a closer and, and you don't feel super great about it. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I, honestly, maybe, you know, we're talking about uh, the negative side of things like domestic violence, like yours familia is going to, going to get a suspension. There's, there's no way he's not, he, he deserves one. Um, he's going to get it. If you end up investing in him, you're going to need to cover that because he's not going to have the job for probably two months and you could take Benoit there ugly reason to have to take a, a guy but uh that is something that you could do benoit is going to be dirt cheap and i think i'll i'll end up with him on some teams now that guy in arizona that we were talking about get back on your segue you know get, get back on put your helmet back on okay fernando rodney signs in arizona and again your point still holds i'd still rather take benoit over rodney but i think rodney's going to go to arizona to close yeah i mean they were they were tire fire last year and the only thing that worries me is that one of the things that is actually um, there, there's two things that I found sort of lightly correlated to save opportunities, and one was uh, run scoring by the team. Mm-hmm. Basically, are you going to win the game? And um, I don't know, Diamondbacks might score some runs. The other was strength of bullpen because you kind of have to get from get the there. starters, yes, yeah, the ninth inning guy, and that that bullpen was a tire fire, and you know Rodney himself is a tire has, fire. Has has had really bad seasons. He got so. off to a, he was the opposite of Benoit. He got off to a brilliant start with his first team, the Padres, point thirty one ERA, point eighty seven WHIP, uh, great strikeout rate. It was mostly hits because he was still walking some guys, but kept the ball in the yard. Everything was going great. Goes out to Miami and completely falls apart. Five eighty nine ERA, one eighty WHIP, walks almost double, six point one homers shoot way up, one point two. And that's hits go up. It was nightmare. That last part is the part that worries me. The walks? He's going to Arizona. No, oh, 123. Uh, well, the you homers, know, 1.2 homers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Arizona so, is a really scary place to pitch. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Taiwan Walker trade. I can't emphasize it enough, though. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves as an offensive haven. It's scary. And I, I think Rodney could really struggle out there. I was willing to gamble on him last year. Um, as as kind of that that guy who I was going to have for a month and get some saves out of, and I was able to use him. Um, I actually got out before the Miami thing. I actually flat out cut him in a twelve team league before uh, everything fell apart, which was great. But I, I think you got to be careful. I don't even think I would take my shot with a forty year old Rodney in Arizona this year, not even for the couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, just looking at bottom feeding, like the the kind of things that I would do, I'd rather take a Corey Kniebel. Yep. Um, I'd like to know what's happening in spring, but if Rysel Iglesias is there, I'd rather, much rather take Iglesias. Same. I'd uh, rather take Benoit. I might I'd even take, take Brandon Kinsler if he's the closer in Minnesota, and that guy's not good. Right. Uh, that might make it. I might take a pass and and get some setup guys after that. I'd but, take uh, our boy out of Vino. Uh, yeah, I take Adovino, and if uh, Francisco Rodriguez, I think I'd, I'd take him over. He's not the best team in the league. Of course, I would take Francisco Rodriguez. <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, come on. I would not take an angel 
over Yes, Rodney. I agree. I agree. I would take Rodney over Street, um, and then I would punch myself in the face and just quit the league. <laughs> So well, I, once you get to set up guys, I get interested because I don't want street. Once you get to set up guys, I'm interested. But there are other setup guys I'd probably like before an angel setup guy too. So if we're talking setup guys, um, you know Ramos in case he gets traded, maybe mm-hmm. um, Hector Neris in case Benoit does fall apart, Arodis Vizcaino uh, in case Jim Johnson gets traded. Yeah, uh, you know, like the Brewers. I guess it's Kniebel. If it if it isn't Knievel, then um, well, it has to be Knievel, and it's, so it's Knievel. See, yeah, it's not easy to see who would, who uh, the setup guy would be that you want. Maybe Jacob Barnes or something. But I think I would uh, take a pass on those setup guys. So, uh, who are the setup guys that I want? Okay, Neris, uh, Neris, Ramos, Ramos. Uh, and then I think I would go to Jones. you know Bedrosian, Bedrosian Bailey, I guess. Nate Jones, uh, Matt Bush. Um. Yeah, Addison Reed, Addison Reed. Addison yeah. Reed will get drafted because I think by the time March rolls around, we're going to know what's up with Familia, and Reed's going to be a, a two-month closer. Training, training. I like so much that I might take him above Benoit. Okay. Like Especially if they don't do something there. If Kelly's the guy going in, I agree. If they get something more established, that might push training down a little bit. Right. Um, so that's yeah, a and Jones might be a closer by the time um, if Robertson gets traded to the that's Dodgers. True. So there's still a lot of offseason left. Let's not do too much of this. But um, it is interesting to kind of sort out the bottom there a little bit. It, yeah, it, it, a lot of closer movement. There always is. We'll cover it as it continues to happen. Uh, three hitters signed. You know, solid hitters. We always talk about how the there's a lack of depth on this market, and that's true. But these are all three impact hitters here. Start with Carlos Gomez going back to Texas. <clears throat> Excuse me. He got himself back on track with them. It wasn't a, a huge sample because he went over in mid-August. So it wasn't even the, like the whole final two months. It was 33 games, 130 plate appearances. But he hit eight homers, which was more than he hit in 323 plate appearances with the Astros when he only hit five. 284, 362, 543. He was excellent with the Rangers for 130 plate appearances. It's no wonder he went back on a one-year deal, probably hoping to fully reestablish his value uh, for a one-year 11.5 mil. Are you on the Gomez train at all? Because I can't quit, so like, I, of course I'm on it. But uh, are you? Mm. I don't know. I just see. It's just... No, I don't think I am. I, I, it's just too declining. I mean, you're too declining. He He's the and... best player ever. I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm kidding. I mean, the, what I'm looking I don't for. See why I don't. I, his projections call for more home runs and more stolen bases next year, even though he's been hurt and and. Um, you know, yes, he's had some good stretches in the last two years, but he's been from for the most part hurt and bad uh, for 2015 and 2016. Well, that's the scary part: is that health is there like that that is the one thing that that can just trump the skills the skills are 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 still solid in terms of power and speed that he can deliver there he can be a 20 plus 20 plus guy um for homers and and stolen bases for carlos gomez but not if the speed doesn't allow it and a lot of time or not if the health doesn't allow it and a lot of times those injuries are cutting into his speed and if they're base injuries that cut into his speed then they start to trickle over to the power so that that that's completely fair uh, to be concerned about that for Carlos Gomez, 
but I'm still going to take my shot because I just don't think the price will be that high. And if I do get somebody who can go 2020, sign me up. Yeah, and then the other the other thing that worries me about him is that the uh, the thing that ages uh, worst in any hitter's profile is the ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone. And that's a, and that's a key to his game because he's a flailer. He's he's a flailer, and he, and last year was the worst uh, that he'd done at pitches outside the zone. Except when he went to the Raiders, all of a sudden he wasn't swinging as much. He wasn't swinging at pitches outside the zone as much, and he was making more contact outside of the zone. However, that's a small sample. It's against the general trends, and even though last year his reach rate was the be- like one of the better ones of his career, um, that's not nece- that's not normally how you age. So if his if his reach rate goes back to his career average or worse, and he gets closer to forty percent reach rate again, um, and then his uh, his his contact on pitches outside the zone, which normally ages really really poorly, we're talking O swing and O contact. If you're looking at the plate discipline yeah. part of a profile, by the way, for those curious. And and I think I wouldn't break out the partial season so much. I think you want to look at full season for that just to see the trends, but. I agree. Um, his his O contact has basically you know was around sixty and then last year was fifty two. If that goes down to fifty and he's swinging at forty percent of pitches outside the zone, there's no way that his projected strikeout rate is going to get like his actual strikeout rate is going to be his projected strikeout rate because he struck out thirty percent of this time last year and he's projected to bounce back to twenty five because of his career numbers. But if you look at the sort of component stats, his reach rates and stuff. I would say I'm taking the over on his strikeout rate. I'm going to give him a 28, 29, 30% strikeout rate again, which means the 250 batting average goes out the window. Yeah, and 230 since, then. Since I'm taking the under on the home run and, and power and stolen base projections, I'm giving him another 230, 15, and 15 season. Well, I'm a sucker, so <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> again, if well, the price is right, though, watch, if he starts to spike... It, it, watch it, him be nasty. Watch him have an Ian Desmond bounce back. I mean, it, it'd be great, and and that's obviously what I'm holding out hope for. Speaking of Ian Desmond, your segue uh, didn't get lost. It's a perfect segue because that's where we're going. <laughs> I'm we go. definitely, definitely in on Ian Desmond, and it's very easy to be because he's in Coors. He signs a five-year deal. This one was out of nowhere, man. All the rumors were that they were going to get one of these big first basemen, and if they were going to make a huge splash, maybe they would even do like an Encarnacion sort of thing. But probably it was going to be like a Trumbo or even like a Chris Carter. Instead, they go five years, uh, what is the total, 70 mil on Ian Desmond, and it looks like they're going to put him at first, which is interesting. I I just don't believe it. I think think it's a smokescreen to trade an outfielder? I think so. Okay. He, his, he doesn't profile that well at, at first base. I mean, even in his best seasons, like his last, his two best seasons of his last three, 106 way runs created plus and 108, that's actually below average for a first baseman. Yeah, but he's going to so, go to Coors and just dominate, yo. Plus, yeah, here. no, well, fantasy stats wise, but that won't help his WRC plus. It's I actually, know, but what I, one thing I will say. overcorrect for that. I just think they're gonna. They need a pitcher, so they're gonna trade. They're gonna trade an outfielder for a pitcher. You're right, particularly with what you're saying about like uh, what his average is for a first baseman. But we don't need to put him at first base in fantasy. Right. He's still gonna be an outfielder, and he'll he'll add first base eligibility if this ends up going going through, which is only benefit because then you can slot him in at corner if you need to finagle things around. It opens up some flexibility. 
I, I tend to agree with you. I'm hearing the same thing um, being rumored that, okay, maybe this is just a smoke screen to say, oh, we don't need to trade an outfielder. We just want to. I'm hearing some rumors of Charlie Blackman maybe to St. Louis. That's such a St. Louis move, by the way. They love getting uh, um, outfielders from Colorado. So maybe they'll either get Cargo or Charlie Blackman to go with their Holiday and Larry Walker trend. Of I get- bet you they have. They have their own uh, park factors and their own uh, WRC plus because I think our WRC plus penalizes Colorado too much. So I agree, I agree. Uh, and then there's way. also like a hangover effect. So even though people are are quoting Charlie Blackman's WRC plus on the road, um, that's not necessarily what he's going to do. You can't no, you just you don't take that and say he's going to be below average because he's been below average on the road. You can't a, do that. You know. We don't know if the park factors are all super correct there. And then B, uh, there's a hangover effect where you become very fastball-centric when you're at home in Coors because everyone throws fastballs because they can't throw the breaking balls. And uh, that kind of sets you up to expect flatter fastballs and more fastballs on the road when you don't get them. So there's always like this this thing you have to go through. He told me on every road trip he has to kind of readjust and you know reacquaint himself with baseball. So the Coors hangover is real. And so... Honestly, you can't really use any of their numbers to try to project how they're going to do on a new team. And I think we've seen enough high-quality hitters leave Coors and and remain high-quality, maybe just in a different makeup where they're a little bit lesser at home, but then they're much better on the road, including the two examples I named, Larry Walker and, and Matt Holliday, who both went to St. Louis. If they do get a Charlie Blackman or a Carlos Gonzalez, I think that they'll still be really good players. Will they come down a bit because they're not in Coors? Of course. Of course they will. Especially Blackman, who just spiked last year with a 130 WRC+, plus, a career-high 933 OPS. Yes, I think it'll come down, but I think he has the plate skills that will hold up, and, and he'll still be a perfectly solid player at the top of what should be a solid lineup out in St. Louis, and I'd have no problem with him going there. So I think they're either going to look to talk to Colorado about an outfielder or sign Dexter Fowler uh, for St. Louis. But Ian Desmond... I don't need you to play first base. I don't care what you're doing. As long as you're out in Colorado, I'm in. Because I think he's going to spike and, and maybe hit a career he high had in a homers. 350 Babbitt last year, dude. What's that? There's no way he's going to. He had a 350 Babbitt last year when he hit 285. I just I can't see him hitting better than 285 again. So I, I in fact, think there might be. It's going to be a 410 Babbitt, you dummy. <laughs> Book it. I think, that, I think there might be a chance he gets overvalued. I mean, I'm going to overvalue him, okay? Is Walt Weiss gonna? Is, is Walt Weiss so runnerly that they're gonna? That Didn't he's Walt gonna Weiss steal leave? Team? Isn't he gone? He's gone. Finally, mm-hmm. yeah. Bud Black's the manager. Oh, that's right, Bud Black. All Bud right. Black. I'm gonna call Bud oh, Black Bud right Black. now and tell him is to Bud let. Black a, is Bud Black a runner? I don't. I don't think so. Go I don't go. know. Neutral, maybe. The Rockies stole the 21st amount of bases last year, 66. Well. You know, you know, you're really raining on my parade here, dude, with your facts and logic, <laughs> and it's really stupid. Uh, I have to say. So I don't know, but that—that's always there's always personnel. So uh, yeah, I was gonna say who 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 really should have been running there. That wasn't. Yeah. Well, Mayhew wasn't running because he's terrible efficiency. Blackman stopped Cargo's, running so much because he's getting old. Blackman had Blackman. mad power, so he stopped running, and that was it. Story started to kind of get. You know he's getting his footing the as a runner. The most I push right now his projections for Desmond are 280, 22 homers, fifteen stolen bases. The most I'll project uh, push that is to two eighty, twenty five, twenty. I'll say two ninety, twenty nine, 
70 stolen bases. <laughs> Is that too high? Okay, fine. I'll say 22. I'll say 29-22 uh, with a 290 average. I'm I'm going ham. Give me. I love Ian Desmond and I love Coors. Okay. Uh, let's we'll see we'll see how that goes. We'll see how what price I have to pay for Ian Desmond. I can be reasonable though. If I see the price spike too high, I'll back off. But for now, I know a lot of people hate Ian Desmond and I do not. So I'll, I'll be in on him. All right, last one. You know, Wilson Ramos signs a two-year make good with uh, with, with the Tampa Bay Rays. I like this deal for both sides. He knows that. You know he's not going to be able to play all the, a one-year deal would have been bad because it's going to be four months for him. Basically, they're kind of expecting two uh, for him to miss about eight weeks into the season, and that's just expectations. You never know; it could end up being a three-month season as he returns from an ACL. So this year's kind of the get back established again, um, just to playing baseball with the knee. And then next year, twenty twenty eighteen, I should say, is like the make good where he reestablishes value and then goes back onto the market as a 31 year old catcher. What did you think about a two year, uh, $12.5 million guaranteed deal for Wilson Ramos to the Tampa Bay Rays? I really like it because I mean, I think there's a really high chance. He's the best catcher the Rays have ever had. They, I was just about to say they've needed a catcher for literally ever. Yeah. They've ever. never had a, a good hitting catcher. They should have taken Buster there's... Posey instead of Tim Beckham. Now how come oh. nobody told them that? singer eat it the, jason <laughs> yeah the um the uh the, the question is if he catches i mean that's that's the, but i think even you know their their dhs last year basically had a 100 wrc plus so or actually an 89 wrc plus so Wolf. um his his projections would happen as better than their dhs last year so um he can be he can be useful for them even if he doesn't catch and you know 12 million is is uh, not too much to risk on that, especially if the out, the best outcome is he's your best catcher ever. And um, I will take the over on his projected batting average on balls in play is the, the real place that I'm zeroing in on because last year he got LASIK surgery. Dude and smokes the ball at, smoked the ball all over the place last year. And it really appeared mostly in his reach rate and his line drive rate, which I think are related because if you only – Swing at pitches inside the zone, you're going to hit uh, more line drives. And he cut that strikeout rate uh, with a career best swinging strike rate, and had a career high walk rate um, in terms of full season for for Wilson Ramos. Right. Like a lot of positives in his season last year. That, like you said, are small things that show up. And then you hear the LASIK, and you're like, that makes sense. Yeah, and the the, the what's interesting is the projections bake seem to bake a lot of that. In. Like it's the projections. I will give them credit for nailing for me um, the walk and strikeout rates because there's regression in there, but it still would be some of one of his better walk rates. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, yep. like six percent walk rate, I like that, and then seventeen point nine percent strikeout rate, I can dig that. That's better than his bad year in 2015 when he struck out 20 percent of the time. Uh, better, you know, better than his bad year in 2012 when he struck out 20 percent of the time, but. Uh, but still, not maybe not as good as last year, just because he's getting older, and the, you know the knees will have some impact, and, and uh, there'll be some regression. But uh, the worst thing I see is a 279 BABIP. I don't see any reason for that. And if we can believe any of this line drive skill, which he had line drive skill in the past, you know, you know, this LASIK sort of re-unlocked some of that. Exactly. So, if his eyes were starting to go, and he was noticing. Listen, I'm not getting as many. Uh, solid line drives as I used to 
it must be my eyes. And then you said he was reaching less, swinging yeah. at better pitches and lacing them. I agree. He's a 291 career and 327 yeah. last year. I don't know. I, I agree. I don't know that I'm going to go all the way back to 279. Right. So if you give him, you know, another 20 uh, uh, dots of, uh, of uh, batting average on balls in play, now we're talking about a 275 hitter, um, maybe more, but the 275 hitter. Uh, and, you know, his agent says he can be back in May. Um, I saw a six to eight month time frame, which basically means May uh, to July. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of that's. And that's really important given on what sort of league settings you're in and, and how much you need him for this year, um, if, whether it's going to be May or July. So uh, I think I would take him for this year. I'd take him more in those leagues where you have a lot of DL slots and uh, you stash him away, especially if it's a two-catcher league. I'd love to, um, you know, maybe like AL Labor, I'll, I'll buy him and, and uh, stick him away and see if I can get a spring training uh, catcher in the meantime. Uh, and then he's my sort of trade deadline acquisition type thing. So, uh, I because it. I believe in his skills for sure. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, we made it. Great comeback episode here. Give, give, giving the folks lots of love. They love these hour and a half uh, episodes that sure, we've got. We covered hard. lots of stuff. It was a great winter meetings, right? I mean, it totally panned out to expectations. I think maybe even exceeded expectations. We were expecting at least one big trade. We got a couple. Uh, got a lot of signings going in. I think it'll be a little bit quiet here until the holidays pass. Like we'll get we'll get trickles. We'll get a sign here, sign there. But um, what do you still expect to see, like in terms of trades? You still you think we still have a couple blockbusters? Well, I, I don't know when it'll happen, but we there's going to be the um, the contenders getting bullpen pieces after. Yep. After uh, I mean I think Roberts is going to go. It just seems too obvious. Yeah, the White Sox could could continue to to drive these uh, these these winter well not the winter meetings anymore, but this off season because they can also trade Jose Abreu and or um, Todd Frazier. Yeah, I think and Todd, you know Jose Abreu I think has a couple more years, but Todd Frazier just has one. So um, and if anybody wants Brett Lowry, I'm sure he can be had. Oh yeah. I guess I'll tr- I'll take him on our softball team. What do you think I have to get? <laughs> I'll give him Paul Costava. Costava, you're a new White Sox. Lowry's the 27th best. Uh, the Royals. <laughs> the Angels. Oh, my God. The Angels are going to get Brett Lowry, aren't they? Dude, they're so going to give... They're going to get Brett Lowry for the only... Like, I don't even know who it is, but like the only prospect they have left. They'll be like, hey, man, can we get Brett Lowry for this? Can we? They're like, wait, are you seriously offering this? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll offer our top prospect. Okay, done. No take backs. <laughs> right. Him and uh, here you go, Edward Forty Hands. It's all yours. Oh man, he's gonna be getting lit out there with trout. It'll be great. <laughs> all right, Eno, great talk. You and I will talk again next week. Take care. Uh, thanks for listening.